Hello and welcome to the Worst Movies We Own podcast. My name is Bobby and this is my wife, Natalie. And this week we are doing... The Omen 4, The Awakening. From what year? 1991. So this is the first podcast I think we're going to put out into the world, even though it's episode three. Mm -hmm. We had a dry one with Batman and Robin, and then a slightly better episode in terms of sound recording with Green Lantern, but this is going to be... We've got used to the rhythm now. So Natalie, tell the people at home what the Worst Movies We Own podcast is all about. Well, Bobby, um, we watch a lot of films together as a, as a married couple, and we own a lot of DVDs. And the general idea of this podcast is to watch the very worst of the DVDs that we own, according to the website Letterboxd, um, having been rated by the users of that website. Um, we've got a real mixture of stuff from sort of instalments in box sets to random charity shop finds. Um, there are some some really interesting and and strange choices that we've made, and we're watching them hoping not not just out of Schadenfreude, not hoping for anything awful, but watching with an open mind, hoping that we'll find some real gems. Yes, yeah, this is a box setter. This is one. This is like, one of our box sets. This yeah. is the dregs of a box set, the yeah. Omen box set, mm-hmm. and uh, probably the first one that neither of us have seen before. I think I have seen it before. Ah, yeah, I, I think I think I watched it. Um, when I when I sat down to watch all the Omen films, um, for completeness. For for completeness. Yeah. Um, have you seen the Lee Schreiber Julia Stiles one? Yes. Okay, I don't know if I have seen that one either. Yeah, it's I, well that that's for a different day. I'd be shocked if it's not also <laughs> quite far down the list of good. Well, films. so this this is in my opinion our first coaster disc, first filler, like kind of. Obviously, Batman and Robin was part of our sort of 90s Batman box set. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, you know, th- there's every chance we would have bought Batman and Robin on its own at some point just to, you know, relive the fun. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, I don't see any situation where we probably would have bought Omen for the Awakening uh, as a separate DVD release. No. I'm not even sure if it exists as a separate DVD release. I feel like we may be two of the few people who've seen this film. This century. This century. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so um, anything you want to get off your chest first of all? Do you know what? No, there's not a, a lot to say up, up front um, because I'm still trying to work out in my head <laughs> what it was all about. Um, I think it's actually going to be very helpful to discuss it to work out my own opinions on it. Your own so opinions on it? Should, yeah. You're yeah. torn. You're Damien um, torn. Yeah, I mean, I'm not torn between is it a good film and is it a bad film. It's it's a bad film. Yeah. But I'm torn about how, what I took from the film, you know, because I didn't sit there for an hour and a half being angry or miserable or frustrated or bored or or not paying attention. I actually watched the film. So there must have been something in it that kept my attention for an hour and a half. So maybe we can work out what that was. Cool. Okay. Shall we um, do some facts and figures first, a little straight off the bat? Yes, please. So, Omen 4, The Awakening, made in 1991, year of uh, Terminator 2 and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But you would have stayed in to watch this on TV even here in America because it was made for television. That makes sense. Over there, whereas it got a release in the UK and in Australia at cinemas and on VHS. Um, Directed by two different people. I'm going to say their names wrong, but this is how I would say them. Jorge Montes and Dominique Offesin-Gerard. 
Um, produced and co-written by original Omen producer Harvey Bernard. Um, and it stars Faye Grant, Michael Woods, Asia Vieira, Michael Lerner and Megan Leach. So this was seen as the Omen film that put the nail in the coffin of the franchise about 10 years after the final conflict, which I think yep. we're both fans of. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much uh, so. Omen 3, adult Damien. Mm-hmm. Um, they decide to do a TV spin-off hoping to launch a series of TV movies. Um, right. But this was so critically reviled and the ratings were so low when it was released in America that they never really bothered with Omen again. Although, obviously, when the 6th of June 2006 came around, Fox came up with the great idea of remaking the original Omen... Mm-hmm. With quite a dull cast. Yes. Um, so it's a franchise killer. Um, Natalie. Yeah. Let's. I think maybe just straight off the bat, because I, I know we're going to talk about this film quite a lot, because it's horror, it's your wheelhouse, yes. something you like, but just tell us your feelings and history with the Omen franchise as such. Well, I mean, the Omen franchise, I have a real affection for. Um, the Omen, the original Omen, is... Um, one of my favourite horror films. Not necessarily because I think it's as good as the other ones that are high up on my list. You know, I don't think it's as good as Halloween or The Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Candyman. But because it was the first film that actually terrified me. Um, and it was the first horror film I was allowed to watch. I was only allowed to watch it because it was Christmas Day and my dad was drunk. So he he wanted to watch it and he let me stay up. And it terrified me. It's It's a great... My first horror movie, The Omen, the 1970s yeah. The Omen. Obviously, kids these days might find it dated, but I think uh, people of our age group, um, even though it's got some gore in it and some shocks, it kind of is a lovely mystery mm-hmm. and a really exciting production. And the set pieces are these elaborate deaths. Yeah. That, you know, Final Destination style kind of fate and objects and physics come into play to you know kill people in exciting ways and so i think whichever way you approach it whether you're looking for jump scares or a bit of satanic kind of doom and gloom or um, a bit of transgressive religious or naughtiness or just like kind of sheer spectacle or star power because gregory peck's in it as well yeah and a whole cast of british and american kind of character actors yeah Uh, the only one's like an absolute corker of this is what horror is. It's not the most extreme example you're ever going to see. It's not even the best example. But you're going to get a good kind of buffet of horror yeah. from, from The Omen. I'd recommend if you're ever settling a kid down, maybe who's 12 or 13, has never seen a horror film before, don't start them on a slasher. Don't start them on, like, kind of torture porn or, you know, or the most extreme film ever. Let them, let them get their toes a little bit wet. Let them watch The Omen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good lesson in, like instilling people with a sense of dread because that is what I remember from watching The Omen the first time and pretty much every time I've watched it since then and I watch it maybe every couple of years um, is that feeling of constantly being scared of what's about to happen being able to see it from a distance and because I mean some of the characters themselves get forewarning of what's going to happen to them and you're waiting for that moment to happen Um, it's not the best horror film but it's one of the I think the cleverest in terms of of making its audience feel scared. 
Um, but I think that's the thing as well. Like, you're so invested in the story by the end that though the sequels aren't as good, I go back to those time and time again as well. Um, I think the second one is still scary. It's got some really good moments, like the bit in the... Um, the kind of the basement of the hospital, the forensics yeah. kind of basement, um, and the lift scene. The um, well, the second one, Damien Omen series, completely powered by Let's Top the Omen. Like we've got a blockbuster horror film, yeah. Uh, one that's successful maybe to sort of slightly younger audience than The Exorcist was, which or Rosemary's Babies was. Yeah. But, um, so I think very much same formula, but mm-hmm. bigger is is Damien the Omen too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, The Omen 3 is, is slightly different. And I think maybe a lot of the horror from the first two as well comes from the fact that it's a kid. Um, certainly the end of the first film with a little boy when he turns around. And then the second film where it's it's a teenage boy coming to terms with what he is. Mm. And then you meet him as an adult in the third one. There's some power taken out of that innocence, yeah. like evil innocence kind of thing. Um, but you're so invested by that point that you know you're in it for the story. I mean, we we all wanted to see adult Damien come to power. If, yeah. if you've watched the first two, it's kind of got that kind of a sweet and sour flavor of you know, kind of this kid's the devil. Yeah, and therefore he should be the villain. And yet, you you wouldn't want to see him beaten or defeated or killed. You want to see where it, what the next step up is. You're yeah, kind of you invested in. Um, anti-hero is probably not the right anti-villain is kind of what Damien is yeah. when you go through so the third one where you get to see him actually be in power um, kind of protect that power try and bring his rule to fore as the child of the devil is really exciting I kind of feel Final Conflict is probably the missed opportunity of the franchise in that if it was made these days, it would be a 10-episode Netflix TV series where you've got Damien weighing up whether he wants to be evil or not yeah. and consolidating his power in kind of a West Wing House of Cards kind of way and then all the soapy romance and then some spectacular deaths as well. I think Final Conflict, out of all the Omens films, is the one that you could most like look at these days and go, well, we could really do something with that. The devil as... Mm. The devil as a potential president of the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or white office, press office, secretary, or whatever the creepy guy is from uh, House, House of Cards. Cards. Yeah. You're talking about uh, Seth. Seth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you think he looks like the devil. I think he looks like Satan. I think that should have been a, a good subplot for the final series of House of Cards. House of Cards, he actually turns out to be the devil. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. he, he, he turns out to be quite useless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it basically just becomes like kind of a, some new character's bitch. Well, that is it, yeah. That's the problem. Um, the other problem, I suppose, with um, the final conflict is that there is a there's a very it, there's a finality at the end of it. There's that uh, good conquering evil ending, which mm. no no one really wanted. Um, and also in a horror film, especially, you want it's, it's, you know it's 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 textbook horror movie making. You end on the possibility that the horror's not gone, yeah, and it doesn't do that, which makes it even more surprising that there's a fourth film, which mm-hmm. is a sequel, yeah. rather than a remake or an homage v- or a reboot. Vaguely I mean, a sequel, yeah. There's a line that ties it all, t- t- all in together. Yeah. Um, just just one last, I know we're not I know we're not talking about The Final Conflict, and it's not yeah, even my favourite Omen film, but mm-hmm. I've, got a, I've got a real affection for it, or a real admiration for it. Um, Sam Neill's great casting as adult Damien, uh, yeah. because he's not camp. He's, uh, 
he takes the role very seriously and he's seductive and he's charismatic and he's handsome, but yeah. he makes a really good, sinister devil. Yeah, but one that lures you into accidentally during the film being on his side yeah. and not, not realising you're doing it. So if anything, Sam Neill's as good as those kids who blindly didn't know what they were doing, what their kind of value were to the film. Yeah. Whereas Sam Neill's, you know, making it happen as an adult actor and I think that's kind of a... Yeah, go, go, don't watch The Omen 4 right, if you listen to this podcast and think, oh, I'll give it a try. It sounds, yo, sounds like it's an hour and a half of shit, you know, and I'll enjoy that in a snarky way. Watch Final Conflict again. You'll have a, you'll have a grand old time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's get down to questions. What do you like about Omen 4 The Awakening? Well, Bobby, I like the rattlesnakes. <laughs> <laughs> Some slow motion, arse-shaking rattlesnake action. Yeah, that was the absolute high point of the film for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent the first half kind of waiting for those set pieces like we were talking about and there being a lot of heart failures and you know not very exciting deaths uh, which is not what you're in it for and then there's the bit with the rattlesnakes and that is exactly what I want from from any film really because I really like rattlesnakes Mm -hmm. but from an omen film I thought that was really good um and that was the absolute high point for me Okay, cool. And is that all you liked about the film? Just uh, just rattlesnakes, because we could have watched a nature documentary. <laughs> I mean, I laughed a lot, but yeah. it, it's possibly the most unintentionally funny horror film or film I've ever seen. I think I think we've got some bad road ahead of us looking at our movie collection. I don't oh, think. Really? I, I think while it's not particularly slick. There's a certain solidness to the Omen 4. You couldn't say it was a badly made film, even though some of the choices are absolutely terrible. Oh, yeah. Well, it, I mean, that's the other thing. I actually quite like the um, the made-for-TV movie quality to the film. Not every scene. Some scenes felt like they were, they were you were just watching any other film. Two but different directors. Maybe that was it. Um, sometimes it felt like you were watching just like a quite a dark episode of Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. I like that. That's why I like Salem's lot. It's, you know, I, I think yeah. that is, I know you don't, but it's, I don't know if it's like a nostalgia or a, I don't know, for entertainment reasons that, that, you know, I really do like that. So that was, that would be the other thing apart from the rattlesnakes that I like. Well, as far as I can tell, both directors are TV journeymen, like episodes of NYPD Blue and oh. things like that in their career. And for some reason one was replaced by the other. I'm not even going to go into the names because they're not... Yeah, no offense to the two guys who worked probably very hard on the film. Yeah, um, they're they're not famous people. They're not famous directors yeah. who've gone on to do anything other than more good solid TV work. Well, if it was made for TV in the states, then why wouldn't they? Get it was made TV? for TV in Canada, which is oh, uh, probably okay. why some of the casting, like kind of, we've got quite a few X File actors who are twentieth oh, century Fox right. Canadian production as oh, well in there. Um, so, but the made for TV. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I. With the exception of Steven Spielberg's Duel, I can't think of a TV movie, like single episode, 90 minutes TV movie I've ever settled down to watch. I've watched miniseries, I've watched various Stephen King's, yeah, um, when they, and they were big event releases, especially it. Right. Um, and there's various other things like that over my sort of childhood and teenage years of like kind of two or three episode TV series. But I don't think I've ever sat down and gone, I'm going to watch a movie made for TV rather than a film that has been downgraded to a straight-to-video release. I'm pretty sure I have, though maybe I'm wrong. Um, for instance, Holiday in Handcuffs was an ABC movie. Oh, they assume that's made for TV. It's an excellent mm. film. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Holiday in Handcuffs starring? Uh, Melissa Joan Hart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very fine Christmas film. You can buy it on uh, DVD from Germany. 
it's popular in Germany. Here's the good thing, guys. I get the feeling that it might be quite lowly rated on Letterboxd. <laughs> average user rating, we could be doing a Christmas special holiday in handcuffs and you can defend it to its hill. Oh, well, I will. <laughs> um, and um, I'm, I think I have watched quite a few. I think I watched quite a few when I was a kid um, that were on Channel 4 in the mornings. Like There was one called The Face on the Milk Carton or something like that. Okay. It was based on the book, The Face on the Milk Carton. I'm, I'd be shocked if that wasn't a made-for-TV movie. And it was perfectly fine. Um, I think when you watch one of those films, you kind of... You know, you watch it knowing that it's like you're watching a feature-length episode of any TV show. Yeah. Feature-length Baywatch or a feature-length... I, I mean, yeah, I probably... Wrote or I, something. I'll retract my statement in that I've probably watched, like, a, a feature-length spin-off episode of a TV show. Yeah. But a, a film made for television, in my eyes, isn't a film. In... I guess the Netflix thing now where they release a film every couple of days but it never gets a cinema release unless it stars Adam Sandler or Robert De Niro. Yeah. Um, that's slightly different because they are funding cinema. They're just giving it a different release pattern. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with straight to video. But the idea of something as flat and rote as a standardised TV episode made with the same production values of a TV episode of the 90s yeah. doesn't do much for me. And, you know, I wouldn't... I wouldn't I'd rather turn the TV off and go to the cinema than okay. watch something like that. It's more of an American thing anyway, I think, isn't it? Yeah, they've got a lot of channels to film. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so but, but that's all you like. So I guess we move into the other side of the yin and yang. What did you hate? Hate's a strong word, but... What did, what, what did you dislike? I disliked whenever it tried to borrow from or emulate the originals in a worse way you know there were bits where okay so you've got the nanny character you've got the dog which looks exactly like the dog from the first one uh-huh. <laughs> you know if, if but then at the same time it diverges quite a lot just if you're gonna do your own thing do your own thing don't just be lazy and and just pop bits from the original in there and not do anything new and interesting with them mm. um i mean <sighs> Just as annoying are the things that they try and do differently, I suppose. They introduce that whole crystal healing new age dimension, yeah. maybe to modernise it, maybe to say, okay, so it's the 90s and... and, and well, if anything, it dates it horribly. Yeah, because, it does, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it, that's, a lot of the unintentional laughs come from that. It's very awkward and, and pointless. Um, they use the original music, which is one of the scariest things about the first one, but then every now and again they'll use it and they, they've put in like a kind of a hallmarky Yeah, type. there's there's two scores. You've got yeah. Jerry Goldsmith's original score, which is there to say you're watching an Omen movie. Yeah. And that's yeah, probably the closest we ever really get to what's satisfying about an Omen movie is listening to uh-huh. the score. And but then every other scene's filled with like kind of what could be in a sitcom or <laughs> It's very confusing. Yeah. It is. But sometimes they blend the two themes. Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awful. Which means someone who definitely wasn't as skilled or as talented as Jerry Goldsmith turned around and went, I can polish this dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this iconic score has been used in three movies and still probably is synonymous with dread and the devil. I can, let's get a couple of flutes and <laughs> timpani on this. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the acting's pretty poor, um... For, but being a TV movie, you kind of expect that. Worst Offended? The mother. Yeah, she's the lead character. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't trust her with a child. 
No, I mean, I mean, in a way, that's like kind of like an homage to the original because Lee Remick's so awful as well. Aww. No, no, don't, mm. don't. It's very beautiful, Lee Remick. Yeah, well, she ticks that box, but yeah. you know, you do spend a lot of the Omen noticing her, her bad acting as well. She does shock better than this lady. She does, yeah, that's true. Um, if a nanny's going to throw herself out the window, Lee Remick at least looks like. I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah, <laughs> um, one of the most annoying things for me was that well. Whilst I suppose the kind of female reboot thing is quite a a, a modern invention, they've yeah. done it quite a bit in recent years. Um, this kind of at first seemed like that's what they were doing. So they have a, a female antichrist. The fe- the mother character is introduced at the start as being um, a lawyer and mm-hmm. someone who's talking about taking office herself, and then all of a sudden you cut to a few years later and. It, you know, it's the husband, it's the Gregory Peck character who is taking off with his political career. She's given up work, she's given up the office and everything. Um, that would be bad enough. Maybe it's a comment on the way the world is, but it's very subtle if it is. But the absolute worst thing is that they don't even let the female antichrist be the powerful character. No. They cop out at the end. She's just a storage container for... Yeah, she's a vessel. A vessel for... Uh, and her twin fetus. Yeah. Yeah. Which is... Probably, I mean, probably because after three Omen films, people have got used to if you're going to adopt a baby or get a baby under shady circumstances, just have a little check of the head. <laughs> <laughs> just have a little check of the head. Yeah. Well, she she doesn't have any marks. Exactly. She's, she's not. She's not. She's not it. No. Um, where where where's the baby hiding? Where's the real devil hiding? Inside, like a babushka doll. Yeah. Yeah. And then they whip it out like a tumor. Yeah. Pop it in to uh, Faye Grant. She doesn't notice. She doesn't notice. She thinks she's got pregnant. Yep. And then... And then she gives birth to the actual Antichrist, which, you know, don't worry, audience, it is still male. It's just offensive. It's just offensive. (laughs) Yeah. See, this this is really helping me work out my feelings about this film, like I I thought it might. I'm offended. (laughs) And because she's the actual actual mother of this baby. Yeah. uh, how, How can you tell he's the devil? He's got squiggles on his hands. He's got squiggles 666 on 666. his hands. Which they've not noticed up until this point. No, they've been looking after that baby for weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> He's just kept his fist clenched. Um, it is annoying because the little girl's one of the best things in it. She, her, As a child actor, she's fine. But she, she is a bit too nice, maybe. Maybe it should have been a clue all along. It's not a massive stretch of a role uh, playing the devil child. You've got to look creepy, dead-eyed, and then an occasional look to the cameras to say... You see that horrific <laughs> death that's just happened. I did that. Which is quite cute, though. <laughs> nah, do you know, um, Asia Derrera. Derrera. Uh, is it Vivera? Vivera. Asia, mm. my mate, um, looks a little bit like Matthew Broderick. Now? No, then. No, I was thinking more like Sarah Silverman meets Lacey Chabert from Party of Five. Yeah, I could see that as well. But I... Lacey Chabert would have been a good option for... Yeah, she probably, probably turned it down. <laughs> um, probably wouldn't have got all that sweet party of five mean girls mm. lost in space dollar. Yeah. If uh, she'd already been associated with, you know, the devil himself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that kind of, I don't think the casting of the child is the most important thing. I think you really need to be invested in the person uncovering the mystery. Yeah. And we've, we've gone on that journey a couple of times now. And, uh, Faye Grant from the TV series V in the 80s, very popular um, alien TV series. That's why why we had her. Okay. She's not exactly uh, the best actress in the world and certainly not even particularly charismatic. 
I, I, I'll, I'll throw in, I didn't think the deaths were particularly good. Like, yeah. you're right, the first two deaths are heart attacks. Yeah. Rubbish. Like, second heart attack in a row, you literally, I hope it's not all just heart attacks. Yeah. Because you, cause <laughs> you really want to see, that. like, a lift chop a man in half. Yeah. Or, you know, a piece of glazing, you know, chop a head off and have it spin. And being yeah. a TV movie, they can't show that much gore. So we have, like, kind of... Um, suggestive editing so you see a ball rolling with a face <laughs> on it or an egg dropped <laughs> when, when people die uh, the deaths get better towards the end uh, we've got the rattlesnake death that you enjoyed yep. and then you have Michael Lerner's <laughs> death which feels like it's from a different film <laughs> like genuinely the production values go up yeah uh, the we're about to kill off our most famous actor uh-huh. in the film uh, Michael Lerner at this point 1991 Came off his Oscar nomination for Barton Fink. This is what he decided to do afterwards. Oh. Already had on his uh, on his schedule afterwards. <laughs> Probably the more awkward thing. Right. Uh, and he he has what you would call the only proper. The world moves around to a point where he can't avoid death. Death. Yeah. Because they suggest it's going to be a heart attack a few times, and then it's actually quite an impressive crane death that's foretold in the toy shop window. Yeah. And you've got Carol Singers being creepy, and the nativity scene in the window turning into and and for like. Seven minutes of the film, actual horror, and then yeah. they ruin it by when the crane swings at him to hit him, and you always it goes on for so long, slow motion, the same shots repeated before it actually hits him. You're going to go, are they even going to show the crane wrecking ball hitting him because it's a TV movie and they have they've been quite cautious about gore so far, mm-hmm. uh, but they do very very briefly show a man or a dummy being hit off his feet yeah but then would you have wanted to see something that's obviously a dummy being sellotaped to a ball and then swing up in the air because I mean one of the other deaths involved somebody falling out of a window and what was thrown out of the window wasn't even the right size it yeah. was like a half the size of the woman in question dummy I mean it's I mean, bad Apart from the heart attacks, I think uh, the, the, the through the window death is maybe the most disappointing because it starts mm-hmm. off really well with uh, Delia Fawn, whatever her surname is in this, Delia, what was the lawyer? York. Delia York spitting in someone's eye yeah. with such venom that that woman was blinded and disorientated <laughs> that she wandered through three different rooms trying to, <laughs> trying to get the spit out of her eye just by shaking. And then the dog... Similar to the dog in the first yeah. open, <laughs> helps her through the window, takes her clean off her feet, three feet off the air, and off she goes down and hit, lands on the roundabout. Yeah. Where, what's it called? It's a roundabout. Roundabout? Yeah. Yeah, spinning round, but kids, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and uh, then the family, who are quite rich, decide to just keep that roundabout in the garden <laughs> for future reference. <laughs> 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 a horrific death landmark <laughs> for the kids to see. Yeah. Her, her character's, she's the crystal one, um, is particular, the, the inclusion of her character is particularly annoying because it means we don't get that, you know, they do introduce a new nanny, they do introduce a, a Billy, um, what's her name? Billy... Billy Whitelaw. Whitelaw yeah. style nanny who's in it for maybe two scenes. Yeah, she's quite good. Yeah, yeah. and it, it just, you know, when you're picking and choosing what you're going to use from the originals, pick the right stuff. Yeah. Creepy nanny who's defending uh, a devil child is a good character. Yeah. Um, and that poor woman was wasted. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the psychic fair? <laughs> there's, there's a lot to say about the psychic fair. <laughs> okay, here's, here's, here's my opinion of the first half of the film in terms of uh, 
it almost got me because I, I knew it was bad and I knew it was pulling its punches and not particularly exciting. But for a little while, I thought, all right, so Delia York keeps getting into these situations. The school bully's bullying her. So she um, puts him in a position where he's going to wee his pants and then his, she kills his dad as revenge. And then the psychic fair, they try and take a picture that proves that something might be wrong with her. She certainly turns crystals black, which yeah. she's not supposed to do. Takes the light out of them. Mm. Uh, and she absolutely fucking unleashes a kind of whip ass and then by accident, like, kind of, it's fire. I mean, <laughs> Everyone psychic, gets set on fire. The psychic fair goes from quite a pleasant, like, kind of day out to a burning apocalypse in minutes. One juggler drops his, like, kind of lit fire torches and suddenly someone's on fire within seconds from that <laughs> and just running around for five more minutes, like, on fire. Um... And there's a little bit of me thought, this is a little bit like Home Alone. <laughs> like, a kind of Home Alone where innocent people are facing the booby trappers, psychic roar. <laughs> <laughs> and you could almost have, like, a really fun sitcom where, uh-oh, we've raised the devil, who's she going to absolutely destroy today? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I quite enjoyed that because it looked like a sitcom, had the score of a sitcom, and to be honest, because it wasn't scary... You could only really take those scenes as being amusing. Yeah, because and the people were so annoying <laughs> yeah. that she was doing it. So you yeah. you could just sit back and enjoy what was going on. Mm. Um, I think that the psychic fair looks like the worst place on earth. It's horrible. Yeah, I never want to go there. Because like kind of how we how we get brought to the psychic fair is Joe, the rubbish babysitter mm-hmm. who's into crystals, has a friend who looks like Bob from Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Baldwin. He looked like Billy Baldwin, did he? Yeah, meets Bob from Twin Peaks. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he says, "Oh no, she's she's got she's got a bad aura. I've got these sweaty palms. I'm getting out." Of <laughs> but why don't you bring her to the psychic fair where all my candy ass friends are there, <laughs> and they could all be scared by her as well before she tries to kill us all? <laughs> yeah. We laughed a lot during that scene. Yeah, I, mean, I think just like the Michael Lerner by himself wandering around Toronto or Vancouver sequence is particularly good. Yeah. Uh, that scene was particularly bad. The the real hallmark of a bad film. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> I, I it, it really it really brought the side down. Um, cool. So, who was, in your opinion, the John Turturro of the film? Who do you think put of the acting crew put in the hardest work? It's not going to be Faye Grant or Michael Wood. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, it, there's only really one obvious choice, and that would be Michael Lerner. Because he, he, a great character actor. Yeah. Um, and that is the character that film needs because he is the investigator, like we said about the original films. Um, You've got David Warner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, 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 the really good... Um, is it Joan, Joan somebody... Joan Baywell? No. I don't know. Is that her? But the, the, the female um, reporter who gets her eyes pecked out by the crow in the Joan Plowright? second one. That makes more sense. Yeah, no. but I don't know. I don't remember who it is. She's called Joan. Um, <laughs> she's great. <laughs> um, Joyce Grenfell. <laughs> these, these are the characters that, you know, drive the plot along and um, you start off brave like them, wanting to know everything, and then you feel their fear and, and they're great characters. Um, and I think, yeah, so he, he is the John Turturro of this film. Yeah, without that, the best actor. He almost has his own movie for 15 minutes, so it's a good movie. A yeah. better, better movie than one we've been stuck with. Yeah. Um, it's creepier. He's acting people off the screen. The, the sequences are a bit of quirk. Even a meeting with a pimp doesn't go exactly the way you'd expect it to. <laughs> um, yeah, if it was a short film, you'd quite enjoy the Michael Lerner sequences. But I'm going to go for someone different. 
Oh. Is, is it one of the cats? It's not one of the cats. Lots of good cats. Yeah. Cat, cats better than dogs in this one because yes. they, they don't look like um, hired by an animal handler cats. <laughs> no. They look like cats they've got off the street that just like a stroke. Yeah. Maybe cats that wandered into the shoot and then maybe Michael Lerner attracts cats. <laughs> maybe, maybe he's got cat lip in his like pockets. Like an Agnes <laughs> 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 But yeah, again, in Michael Lerner's real world sequences where he's investigating what happened, there's there's a lot of cats and yeah. they're, 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 there's some right old scruffians. But it's not one of the cats. It's not one of the cats. Uh, I, I really like the young nun who originally uh, gives up uh, Delia to the family yeah. and then has a funny turn, leaves the nunnery. And then we're mainly told this via exposition because she keeps an eye on what's going on. She knows she's made a mistake. Yeah. Um, and she tries to intervene once, she gets sent home, and then her life goes off the rail, but we don't see this. She becomes a prostitute, a drunk, a drug addict, and then she gets her life together when she starts hearing voices and becomes a prophet in, is it North Carolina? North Carolina. North Carolina. Uh, And that's when we re-meet her for the rattlesnake sequence. Michael Lerner tries to find out what's going on. Yeah. Um, And I'm not going to say it's the best performance in the world. Uh, She's stuck with a horrible wig in the second half, but... um, She's a far more interesting, different character that doesn't feel like a retread of stuff that's happened in the original Emma films. You're right. This is another cop-out, isn't it? Yeah. This is another, let's get a female character in to be the investigator, and then cop-out and get Michael Lerner in. Lerner instead. Um, I, I would have much rather watched a movie of, she just had a brush with the Antichrist, and her life falls apart, and she's got the power to intervene, and she can't get to it. Yeah, uh, and rather than being stuck with a poor man's Gregory Peck and Lee Remick, and yeah. we talk about a very poor man's Gregory Peck and Lee Remick, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, who make horrible choices throughout the film, um, whereas she's a character with some agency, and I think it would generally be distressing. But unfortunately, being made for TV, I don't think you know we would have seen the scene where she's tricked out by a Russian pimp who's alright he's alright yeah. like I know there's one scene with a Russian pimp he's a nice guy yeah he does seem nice he doesn't seem to mind his his tricks his, his hose or whatever going off and relocating yeah and then yeah so all we really get from her in the end even though we've got this interesting character bubbling away in the background uh, she played uh, Mulder's sister in the X-Files oh right okay so long lost abducted by alien sister right um, yeah is we go to a caravan where she's keeping a notebook with press clippings of the life of the protagonists. Yeah. Uh, caravan's a little bit like the Zodiac's caravan. <laughs> yeah. Which I like. I'm always a fan of a Zodiac caravan. Uh-huh. Uh, and then uh, she, Michael Lerner sends that off, the scrapbook of their lives, and when poor man's Lee Remick reads this, mm-hmm. she realises, oh, no, things have really gone to shit here. But that's her life. She's she's already lived all, all the news clippings. Yeah. She's got more information than is in that scrapbook. Yeah, she does. <laughs> there are there are written handwritten notes. You've not seen any handwritten notes in it. She, there was there was high, there was a highlighter. Oh, she's highlighted. She's highlighted bits. Yeah. <laughs> you might not remember this, but the newspapers certainly had at least a sentence about this thing that you've overlooked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, is there one change you'd make? That would improve this as a film? Um, I would... Clearly they have the rights to to everything. The music... Is Mace Newfeld or whatever? The, he's, he's quite a big producer. You yeah. see his name on a lot of things. I, I'm i going to guess The Fugitive is what I think. Okay, but, you know, but he's got sway. You know, yeah. they've got... They've got 
they can use the um, the lore, the myth, everything about it um, from the first films. And as it becomes clear in the last 15 minutes of the film, it is a sequel. They are continuing the story. Uh, it's not really worth holding that back as a twist. I would have just introduced that earlier on, made it more about that, about the, the dynasty mm-hmm. of um, the, the Antichrist. Um, and about how it came about. I mean, you kind of left to assume, because you hear so little about... Okay, so Damien Thorne's her father. She gets put up for adoption. So you have to assume that it was the woman... The mother is is, is the woman from the third film, from Final Conflict. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who played her. No, neither can I. But there's quite a, like a, a graphic sex scene, like a yeah. violent sex scene in that. I would like to have heard the words anal birth. Because yeah. I, that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Am I right in... I'm, yeah. That's, no, yeah. He, he, Damien did her up the wrong one. Yeah. Um, you know, he used, used the servant's entrance. Yep. And uh, that's where the goods out came as well. Exactly. Yeah. Anal so, birth. So poor old Delia York is, is a bum birth. She is. But that's not mentioned. I mean, well, I made, guess, made for TV. I know. <laughs> but just... <sighs> maybe they could have had that extra scene for, for the rest of us. I completely <laughs> for the... forgotten about the, uh, the old anal birth. Yeah. Yeah. What a waste. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No daggers of Megiddo? Megiddo? Oh, Megiddo. Megiddo. Yeah. Ah. What's the the name of uh, the archaeologist find? Bunahar? Bugenhagen. Bugenhagen, yeah. Yeah, Right. I mean, you don't have any of that lovely kind of... um, Mythology. Palestinian, yeah, yeah, sets, mythology and stuff. The paintings on the wall that age as it goes along. There's a real ornate Orientalism to sort of the backstory of the other Mm -hmm. Roman films that's just been disappeared. And again, maybe uh, family sitting down to watch The Omen 4 on TV with their kind of TV dinners maybe don't want a plot line where a mother tries to kill her child with the daggers of... Megiddo. Megiddo. But, you know, it, it, things like that really do feel like they're lacking in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that that would be the big change I would make then. I mean, essentially, what what you're watching with The Omen 4 isn't the Antichrist surviving the being discovered and mm. being assassinated by people who don't want the world to go to shit. Mm-hmm. You are basically watching a mother raise a child who's a bit of a dick and accidents happen around her a lot. Yeah. yeah that's not uh, not what great horror movies are made of, not, not what great viewing experiences are made of. No, I mean, don't don't try and make the child the scary thing in it because kids aren't scary. The, the scary thing in the original Omen 1 and 2 um, is that circle, that kind of coven of, of Satanists who are there in the background. You don't know, you don't necessarily know you can guess yeah. in most cases, but not in every case. So it's a re- it's a good twist mm-hmm. when you find out. Oh, that person's one of these one of these satanists. It doesn't have that. So, any would you recast anything in the film? Anyone in the film? I mean, obviously, I think you'd recast everyone, but Michael Lerner really. Well, if, you, if, yeah. if you if you had nineteen ninety one and a massive budget to play with, you, you know, any holds the goal. Yeah. Um, but so let's let's say you are. Um, the producer, you've got a blank check to revive the omen in the cinemas using the script of the omen four. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who's your dream casting? James Spader. Well, obviously, James Spader is too young. Oh, <laughs> to I'm play sure there's him. a role. He could be the doctor. The doctor doesn't have to be of a certain age. He doesn't have to be of a certain age. So you got you got Spader in, and I'm going to give you it. But who who else are you getting in? Who's uh, 
1991, mm. and I can have anyone. You can have anyone. You want, like, kind of... I mean, I think it, it kind of helps for the for the mother character to be slightly annoying, so I'm going to go for Gina Davis. Yeah, Julia Stiles took the role on yeah. 15, 20 years later, and that's, you know, not a bad casting as well. I'm not going to go into your hate of Gina Davis. We'll do it for another film. Yeah, but I, I would cast her, so clearly I don't hate her that much. Okay, and... Um... Any child actress? Because there's a lot, there's a lot, a lot of really good child actresses who emerge in the nineties. You've got your Flora Birches and your, uh, yeah. your Christina Ricci. Um, See, I, I think what you want for that child is 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 someone who looks more like that little girl from um, the orphan, mm-hmm. um, like actually terrifying. So maybe mm-hmm. just get a Russian kid in, or a Russian adult. Cause that, that's or a Russian adult. adult. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, a, 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 uh, like a growth repressed Russian adult is make, what you should get of that role. Announced last week they're making a prequel to Orphan. So, oh, right, okay, yeah, Just that's Sidebar. Yeah, I think yeah. that might be quite good. Like yeah. in Russia. I don't doubt it. But set in Russia. Leonardo DiCaprio produced Orphan. Did you know that? I mean, I know we've gone completely off piece now, discussing yeah. it, but yeah, yeah, it's creepy kid, creepy kid, we're discussing creepy kid horror. But it's a good film because the kid's so creepy. Mm. I mean, that was a kid, the actor was a kid. Yeah. What, what's in Orphan? I don't I think don't it was a kid. Know. I think it was a... Is a, a tiny... A tiny adult. adult. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. All right, well then that's what, I guess that's what they should have done, they should have got a tiny adult. Tiny adult to play the child the child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right, I've got, I've got you, I've got you. Okay, well, let's have a little break. And uh, we'll come back with the last couple of questions. Okay, so we've had, had a little breather, caught our breath, but uh, we are currently internet researching whether the uh, young lady who played a child in the orphan that turned out to be adult, spoiler warning, fucked it. Sorry guys, <laughs> you've, had, you've had 10 years. Um, was actually an adult or a child? She was a child. She, she was, was a child. years old. <laughs> She looked really old by the end. Well, that's why they cast her. Yeah? Yeah. She's got crow's feet, actually. Oh, she's in The Hunger Games. Oh, there you go, then. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Cool. Um, would you remake The Omen for The Awakening today? <sighs> no. Um, because it's the end of a... I'm still seeing it as, as the fourth part of a series of films. Mm. Um despite the problems with that. So if you were going to remake it, you'd have to remake all of it and not just do a sequel to the Lee Schreiber one and go from there. You'd have to start at the beginning again. Maybe, maybe that's what they need to do. Maybe they need to start at the beginning, use the plot of the first film, but have a, have a female dimension to it. Well, see, I'd say, I'd say, Usually, given the current climate of things getting rebooted and revived constantly, I, I can't see a situation where that wouldn't happen. But the Twentieth Century Fox has been bought by Disney. Horror's mm. not really their wheelhouse. No. Um, so, I mean, I think it depends whether Fox is, or Twentieth Century, as now Disney wants to call it, have been bought as just like an asset stripping of we want certain intellectual properties, and I doubt the Omen's one of them. They yeah. want things like Planet of the Apes and the X Men and stuff like that. Um, and Die Hard, maybe. Yeah. Or whether they're going to use it as, right, family films are Disney and slightly more adult films are 20th century. Yeah, but, I mean, they did used to do that, Disney. They had, is it Touchstone? They or... had Touchstone yeah. and Hollywood Pictures. Yeah, yeah. so there's not, you're not going to get confused with the Disney brand. No, I know, but... I mean, Mickey Mouse symbol on it. I don't think the Disney formula at the moment sees money in releasing films for adults. Right. Um, rather, well, um, yeah. 
they, they see money in a Planet of the Apes film or being able to use the X-Men in their Marvel franchise films. Yeah, I guess so. I think their, their streaming service is going to be targeted at a certain type of person as well, like yeah. a family. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and they're not going to want those kind of films being accessible, I guess, on their service. So, fair enough. I mean, the Omen 4, I thought we were going to struggle before we started watching it, finding things to talk about, interesting mm-hmm. things to talk about, yeah. because like, you go on the trivia and it's just fucking rubbish. Oh. Uh, fetus papyracus, which is like the twist of how the male antichrist is within the child, yeah. and then transferred over to Faye Grant's mother. Um, you get a little description of what that is. Usually it's called fetus papyracus because the child's more like kind of on the skin rather than sub- absorbed inside. Right, okay. Uh, $300 is uh, Michael Lerner's fee to investigate the Antichrist child, but uh, that translates as $555 in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you to the person who yeah, did that. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of dross trivia. Like, and it's not just two or three lines that are like, all right, that's quite interesting. There's a lot of, well, that's just a fact from the film. It's not really trivia. Like, yeah, but I mean, as well, he does get himself a blank receipt at some point, so who knows how much he could have milked um, Mrs. York for. One interesting thing that's brought up in the trivia, one little mystery or quirk or mistake or no one gave a shit, is mm. uh, Damien uh, Sam Neill can ride a horse, whereas this this Antichrist cannot. But I'm oh. Yeah, but that could be a devil horse, like the devil mastiff or whatever that dog is. Oh, they, um, Sam Neill's horse is... A baddie. Yeah, a baddie. So part, part of the cabal. Yeah, so that's fine. It's problem solved. I guess also, thinking about it, you could kind of say the um, the conspiracy to create this kind of transference of pregnancy needed her to fall off the horse. So maybe this horse is a devil horse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, going to throw the kid off, but maybe not quite as bad as... It, yeah. That's true. I mean, I, I also wonder, like, kind of, we know you need the daggers of... Megiddo. I'm less confident about that the more times I say it. I, I just go with it. Everyone loves Megiddo. Mm. Uh, is the only way you can kill the Antichrist, right? Well, yes. Mm-hmm. Though, as we know, you have to use all of the daggers to kill the evil. Um, one dagger won't do it. We all know that. But yeah, that's uh, why the third one's kind of every all the all the priests have got a dagger. Yeah, and they kill. They kill Damien, but they don't kill the evil because they only use one of the daggers. Yeah, I'm just um, wondering, like, kind of how much damage you can put one of these kids through, one of these devil kids, if you don't have daggers of Megiddo, like, kind of. Well, you can like a Terminator. Um, I doubt it, but I think the whole point is that you, you know, she's protected. Like, there's a buffer. So yeah. clearly, she like, can are we kill. talking like a force field, or it no, just reforms. She protects herself when a danger comes close. She protects herself by causing heart attacks and stuff with a gobin in the yeah, eyes or stuff exactly. like that. Exactly, that's why. Um, I don't think she's immune, but then we, we do know that, as as it says in the first film and the second film, got an expert here. Got an yeah. expert. Um, very rarely sick. Very rarely sick, yeah. yeah very, Our child's never, never, been, never, never, sick. never been yeah. sick. Just gets gets a period early. Yeah, that's never really... Oh, well, to, to explain yeah, it, right. Yeah, that yeah, makes sense. I think we're that. Yeah. Okay. Um, right. I guess we're on to our big last question, the one we also ask at the end of every podcast. It's the first yeah. time you've listened. Uh, Natalie had a very bad experience. Had to go mm. through trauma and therapy. She was uh, made, forced, in a clockwork orange style, hold oh. her eyes open... And just enjoyed the lovely, lovely <laughs> Liddy Van. 
you made to watch Bad Boys. Yeah. The Will Smith, Martin Lawrence blockbuster. Yeah. Spe- uh, you know, inspired two sequels and mm. a British kind of spin-off in Bulletproof and a TV series. Yeah. Uh, and you hated it. I did. With a passion. Mm-hmm. Is Omen for The Awakening worse than Bad Boys? Right. I'm Is gonna... it yes then? Because no. that pause means yes, but I don't want to admit it. It is, but it's because it's barely a film. <laughs> what, the other four? Yeah, what I will say is that... Because you cannot say Bad Boys is not a film. <laughs> I will say that I'll, I, I'll probably never watch The Omen 4 again. I've, this is my second time of watching it, even <laughs> even with my OCD need to, to watch trilogies, quadrilogies, whatever, all the way through. You could see um, it as the start of a new trilogy with yeah, relationships to the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm never going to watch it again. Bad Boys I'm probably going to watch again. You're going to watch Bad Boys I'm Just again? out of curiosity in about five years' time as to whether it really was that bad. Yeah, that's probably, I probably am going to watch it. Whereas I'll, I'll, rem- I'll probably remember The Omen 4 quite well. I never need to watch it again. So this is our first Worse Than Bad Boys on the podcast. Yeah. Oh. I feel a little bit bad. You feel a little bad for cursing something to be worse than a film that most people enjoy. Yeah, but I will probably say that the two directors whose names you can't pronounce, I prefer to Michael Bay. I'm sure I've enjoyed their work more. Or on TV series yeah, of the 90s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lex and... Uh, yeah, Blue. Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Sure. <laughs> okay, brilliant stuff. Um, next week, we are going to be doing, or two weeks' time, we'll be doing Basic Instinct 2. Ooh! Which, much like the Green Lantern and Batman, has now in letterbox rantings, like, just... Just so you know the science behind this, I'm going to get this out there, guys. We've put all our films onto a letterbox list, a list that we own on DVD. And then we've just pretty much ordered it by the average user rating, which obviously changes over time. People start higher rating certain films and lower rating certain films. And uh, Basic Instinct has now got a lower score. This is Basic Instinct 2. Basic Instinct 2, yeah. I mean, an important clarification, because one is a classic. Yeah. And one is Basic Instinct 2. (laughs) (laughs) Is is now officially worse than... The uh, carry-on films. No, Omen 4. Oh, okay. So so we've we've kind of jumped the heads by accident, but no fault of our own. But uh, Basic Instinct 2 will be the next one we do. And I think it's going to be an exciting one because we have two people who are massive Basic Instinct fans. Yeah. Hold your hand up. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, and Basic Instinct 2, we both know, is not anywhere near as good. No. But so I, I think there's going to be a lot on Earth. It could be probably the sexiest episode we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you want to do it in the nude? Um, well, we can say what we want. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's sure. a podcast. We could, yeah. we could sit there in the absolute nip. Yeah. And not say whether we have. So if, if you've listened to this episode, maybe you're into a little secret that no one listening to episode four will ever know. Um, and because we're going to probably share this on social media, like, if you've enjoyed it, let people know. And if you haven't enjoyed it, come to me. I'll sort you out. Don't worry about it. Keep you straight. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you. And goodbye. Goodbye.